You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. I love it when God shows up, amen? And God's just here like, you know, God always shows up, right? Like when we say that like God doesn't show up, like God's always showing up. God's always around us. I was having a conversation with my daughter. She, we were talking about churches and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we basically said, you know, God probably shows up at real churches, Daddy. Like, I want to give her a spanking. I ain't going to lie to you. Because uh, you said, but we're, we're a church, but we're kind of out of middle school. And, you know, I just remind that baby, like, God is everywhere. Like, you can have church in the middle school. You can have church in your car. You can have church standing on your porch. You can have church wherever you are. Amen. Come on, somebody. Like, you can have church anywhere because the Holy Spirit, the all-encompassing, all-powerful, all-presence of the Spirit of God is just around us everywhere. And that's just something that we should relish in. So I hope that, like, you didn't wait till you got here this morning to start having church. Like, you've been having church all week, amen? You've been having church at home, you've been having church at work. Like, you've been having church. You've been just connecting with the Holy Spirit, connecting to God and experiencing His love. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Go to John chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time together in John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 1, go ahead there. John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read a couple passages before we get there, but go ahead and pull that up however you're accessing God's Word today. If you're pulling it up on your tablets or phones or actual a book with pages and whatnot, like old school, that's completely fine. Um, we also want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, we will give you one. Um, they are completely free. If you just stop by our connections tent that's there on the sidewalk as you go out, just walk up to one of those volunteers and say, I need a Bible. No questions asked. We don't make you pay for anything. We don't make you fill out a survey or anything like that. Or if you have a family member, maybe you have a loved one that doesn't have maybe the technology that some of us have to access God's Word just really conveniently and constantly, we want to put God's Word in people's hands because we believe it's powerful. Amen. We believe it has uh, truth and grace and so much in it that can change our lives. And so if you need a Bible, grab one on your way out this morning. I also want to say, uh, before we kind of dive into the sermon, thank you for everybody who um, invested in in our building project. Um, we are in the process of trying to move um, out of this portable spot and build a building on some land that we owned outright on, on Stout Street. Um, we've got a long way to go. Our goal was about $500,000 before we can really move forward. Right now we're sitting on about $23,000, but celebrate that church, come on. I know that doesn't seem like, seems like we're far away, but that's okay. You know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, amen? That's just so... Uh, we're just going to keep plugging away, but thank you. I know that so many of you guys, man, um, you gave so sacrificially, and it was it, what you gave, I'm sure, was, was as, as, as obedience to the Lord, and I had somebody ask me this morning, can, like, can we still give to the building project? No, no. What? Yes, you can still, yeah, absolutely, always, and so just thank you for your investment in that. We're just uh, uh, celebrating that, and that's just something to be excited about, and we're going to get there, amen, church? Together. God's going to open that door, and we're going to get there. Um, but today, we, um, somebody wanted to clap. I like that, so y'all can do that. I, I, um, today we begin a new series, and you notice the title is called Life with Jesus, and this is born out of just some things that God, once again, has just been teaching me, because several weeks ago, I, I, I figured something out about myself, that I spent my entire life believing in something. If you don't know my story, um, I, my biological mom was 16. That's kind of all I know about her. I was adopted right but pretty much from birth into a pastor's home. I had the greatest two parents on the planet. I grew up in the church. I grew up learning what it meant to really know Jesus. My mom and dad authentically live and love like Jesus as much or more than anybody I've ever met in my life. So I've spent my whole life in church and exposed to God's word. And I've spent my whole life believing in something. 
But there was a moment in my life that I realized that just believing in something wasn't enough. That, and that really that God didn't call us just to believe in something. That Jesus didn't call his disciples, when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we know as the Gospels, the stories that contain the ministry and life and teachings and miracles of Jesus, that Jesus never really called his disciples simply to believe in something. He called them to follow someone. Amen, somebody. Like, he didn't call us just to believe in something, that he called us to follow someone. And when you have that moment in your life, when you make that transition from just simply believing in something to committing your life to follow someone, it changes everything. And there's a lot of people that believe in something. And there's a lot of people that believe in the somethings of Jesus. Like we believe that, that Jesus was born of a virgin and he was the son of God and he was God incarnate and he went to the cross and he rose from the dead. And like we can believe in all those somethings and that's really, really good. But there's a difference between just believing in those somethings and really following someone. And when you realize like what it means to really follow Jesus, to do life with Jesus, the way he's called us to do, I think you'll see if you look really hard at yourself that there's a big gap between believing in something and following someone. And if you look, go, let's dive, uh, Matthew chapter 5, these are going to be on the screen. You stay in John chapter 4, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, it says, And Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Then look, notice what Jesus says in verse 19, Come, believe in something. No, that's not what it says. Thank you all for catching that. You all are very astute. It says, Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Again, if you go to Matthew chapter 9, as he's continuing to call disciples, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus said, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So Jesus, when he's calling the, the disciples, he never, he's not calling them, like his initial interaction with these disciples is not, hey, I want y'all to come and believe in something. I want y'all to come and believe in something so much that you put bumper stickers on your car and you wear crosses around your neck and you have Jesus is the reason for the season buttons at Christmas and like believe in something. Like Jesus never said that. Jesus, when he is encountering his disciples, he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come follow me. And they began to do life with Jesus. And we see in the gospels these, these 12 guys do life with Jesus. And so I've been thinking about, all right, well, what does that really mean? And does my life look like I more than just believe in something, but I'm actually following someone? Is the, is the way my days and my perspective and all the things that make up my life, does it look like that I just merely believe in something? Or does it look like that I'm consistently, constantly attempting to follow someone? And what I realized is like if you're gonna, that, that most of us really want to be saved by Jesus, but not follow him. We want to declare a belief in him, but not demonstrate what it means to follow him.
Because see, if we're going to follow Jesus, you know what that means? That means that we're going to go where he goes. And Jesus went places that especially the religious people in his day did not want to go. And if we're going to follow Jesus now, that means we're going to have to go into places that you and I probably would prefer not to go into. It also means like seeing what he sees. It's not just about going where he goes. It's seeing what he sees. It's paying attention to what he paid attention to. What caught Jesus' eye. Jesus never looked at, at the outer. He looked at the inner. He never looked at the clothing. He looked at the heart. Jesus was able to peer into what we often aren't willing to. And not only that, it means that we're going to have to feel what he felt. Because what he saw moved him. Remember those stories where it says what he saw moved him and he had compassion and he was heartbroken. And eventually it will cause us that we will do what he would do. And that's what it really means to follow Jesus. And can we all just kind of admit that like that doesn't really look like our lives. And can I, can I submit something to you that I've been learning really a lot here lately just given the season that we're in. This whole concept of the American dream I think has made it really difficult for us to really understand what it means to follow Jesus. You realize that? Because the American dream is all about really building you up and, and achieving your goals and getting all this wealth and getting this, you know, the American dream is what? Like you, you, you go to school, you get an education, you go to college, you get an education. Why? So you can get a J-O-B, right? And then you get a job and you get the best job you can get so you can make the most money you can make, so you can have the nicest house you can have, so you can set up a 401k and be secure and financially stable. And you know what? When I look at what it means to follow Jesus, Jesus wasn't worried about any of that. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm not saying any of those things you can't pursue and enjoy. But, some, but the problem is when we, when we get to that place where we really misunderstand what it means to follow Jesus, when it doesn't look like that in our lives, our faith gets really rattled, doesn't it? See, when we think following Jesus is going to be easy and smooth and we're going to be prosperous, and so I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus because if you follow Jesus, you're going to have a lot of money and you're going to be comfortable and you're going to be secure because God is awesome and he wants to bless you and send rainbows and unicorns from heaven and eat lucky charms every day and it's going to be great. And see, when that doesn't happen, like we get shaken and we get shattered and we don't know what to do with ourselves. But here's what I'm learning as I read through the Gospels and look at the guys who first did life with Jesus. Like what they experienced was nothing like what we often want our relationship with Jesus to produce. And one of the main things that I've been learning is this, if you want to write this down, is life with Jesus is uncomfortable. So like if comfort is really high on your priority list, doing life with Jesus ain't going to be fun for you. Life with Jesus is uncomfortable. And when comfort is what you're pursuing or achieving comfort is the motivation behind your commitment to Jesus, you're never going to be really stable in your faith. Because the more and more I study the Gospels, the more and more I realize that when we do life with Jesus and we do it right, it is uncomfortable. Amen from somebody who knows this firsthand. It's uncomfortable. And like, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, that, and, we, and you know what? We do everything we can to avoid being uncomfortable. You know, some of y'all, that hurricane came through. You lost power for 20 minutes, and your world was crumbling. My son walks in and says, Daddy, Netflix isn't working. 
And like he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's like, I'm like, well, buddy, like, go, no, dad, like, daddy. And he went, and then what he said, he, he was watching Netflix on his TV. My kids are spoiled. Then he got his iPod, and he said, daddy, Netflix is not working on my iPod either. And like his world is just crumbling because you know what? We set ourselves up like, and oh, heaven forbid we lose air conditioning for a couple days. Oh my gosh. We go crazy. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to be okay. We're going to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so much of our relationship with Jesus, maybe your relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus is stalling out because God is putting us and taking us into places that are uncomfortable on purpose and we're trying to avoid those places with everything that we have. And we're fighting against what God wants to do. And this is what we say, well, God loves me. He would never want me to be uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's our mentality, isn't it? God, God loves me. He'd never want me in a position where, where I could have to worry about something. But I just want to show you through a story where, like, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples this lesson in a very unique way. So I told you, let's go to John chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 1. Because this story is a great demonstration that, like, Jesus is going to take us places that are going to force us to deal with being uncomfortable. And that God has a purpose in that space of uncomfortable. John chapter 4 Begin with verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, he was not, it was not Jesus who, was, who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now listen to verse 4. It says, Now he had to go through Samaria. First of all, no, he didn't. Like, he didn't have to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, anybody in Jesus' shoes in his days would have gone any other route but through Samaria. You got to understand the context and the culture. Jesus was a good Jewish boy. He grew up in the Jewish culture, and all his disciples pretty much at that point were, were Jewish people. And the Jews did not associate with Samarians. Like, it's not what they did. They were considered second-rate, second-class citizens. You want to talk about a racial divide? It existed in Jesus' day. Sumerians and Jewish people, they, they, did, they, didn't con they didn't come into contact. They didn't talk to each other. They, didn't, they avoided each other at all costs. Matter of fact, Jewish people looked at these group of people as less than, as unworthy. So matter of fact, if they had to go somewhere, they would go around Samaria in order to get where they were going because they weren't going to go. Because when they went through Samaria, they were going to realize that the Sumerians, they, they didn't like them either. And so this is what I'm learning. Jesus took a path the disciples never would have chosen. In other words, they were, if Jesus would have said, hey guys, we want to go to Galilee. How y'all want to go? They'd say, well, anyway, but through Samaria. We got, we're going to go around Samaria, Jesus, because we don't like those people. They're less than. They're not worthy. We're going to go around Samaria. Jesus took a path disciples never would have chosen. Have you ever kind of thought that in your own life? Like, Jesus, I really wouldn't have went this way. If you ever felt like the, where, where you are and where God wants to take you and the path he's taking you, you're like, God, why did we, why did we choose this path? This path that, God, if, if it was up to me, if it was up to my timing, if it was up to me to plot the course from where I am to where I want to go, I wouldn't take this path. You know what I'm learning? The path most often that God wants to take you on is the one that you would never choose yourself. Because the one he chooses it's usually longer than I would like to choose. I like the shortcut. And then usually it's a little bit more challenging than I would like to go. 
you know, I want the straight, smooth path. And sometimes Jesus chooses kind of the long, hilly one. Jesus chooses a path the disciples never would have chosen. And you know what? When we don't get to pick, that's uncomfortable. Because I want to be in charge. You know, the biggest way to get me uncomfortable is not let me be in control. And that's probably the same for like you too, maybe. Amen. Come on. Jesus chooses the path the disciples never would have chosen. He took the path they never would have chosen. He goes through a place that they knew was going to be uncomfortable for them. Because not only that, the path they were going to have to go through was going to put them encountering people that didn't want to encounter them as much as they didn't want to encounter. It was going to be a difficult road. Keep reading the story. Verse 5. says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, uh, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So let's stop right there for a minute. So Jesus is going into this town. He's chosen a path they never would have chosen. And he goes to this well. But we found out that along the way somewhere, Jesus said, like, y'all go into town and buy food. Like, that seems like nothing. That seems like a, 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 a useless point. But you've got to understand, the people that he would encounter did not want to sell anything and do any business with Jewish people. These two cultures have been at odds, have been going at it for centuries, and they did not like each other. So it would be like you walk into Bojangles and be like, hey, I'm Jewish, I would like a uh, bow rounds and a uh, bowberry biscuit. And they're like, oh, you're Jewish, I'm not serving you. Get out of my restaurant. And like Jesus probably, I think, knew this, had to. And so their efforts to go get food for Jesus to go on this errand would have been really, really frustrating. Do you ever feel like God's called you and told you to do something and the results you're getting aren't what you expected and it's really, really frustrating? I'm glad I'm preaching to at least Brian down here because he's with me. Like you're, like, you're like, God, you told me to do this and like, you told me to go get food and they're not selling me food. And I think you knew they weren't going to sell me food. So why did you tell me to go sell, buy food? Like, have you ever been there? Like, God, you told me to do this. You told me to go this path. You told me to take this job. You told me to get in this relationship. You told me to invest this money. You told me to do this. And now I'm not seeing the results that I want, and I'm really, really frustrated at this point. Anybody ever been there? Or is it just me? Like, you feel like you did what God wanted you to do, but you're not getting the results you expected considering you thought you were being obedient to him to begin with. God's always up to something bigger than it feels in the moment. And so here they are, and he's, he's at this well, and he's engaging this woman, which a Samaritan woman, he never would have done this. Like, number one, in this culture, not only did a Jew not deal with a Samaritan woman, not a man encountering a woman that wasn't his own wife or someone in his family was completely taboo. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In other words, she was like, like, Dude, are you talking to me? Because this doesn't happen. There was a good chance she had spent her whole life and never had a conversation with a Jew. Her whole life. She had been told that Jews don't like us, Jews think we're dirty, Jews think we're trash, they think we're this, they think we're this, you don't encounter them, you, you, you avoid them. 
But this is, I think, Jesus took a path the disciples never would have chosen in order to engage a person they never would have acknowledged. See, Jesus was up to something the whole way. Like Jesus, the, there, there's always lessons to be learned on the journey. It's bigger than the destination. Like there's things that God is trying to do along the way. So you think it's just that we and I, we think it's just about the journey. I mean the destination. We think it's just about the goal. We just think that it's just about what lies on the other side. And God's saying this whole thing has meaning. This whole thing has purpose. Every step matters. Every conversation matters. All these things matter along the way. And Jesus took a path the disciples never would have chosen to engage a person they never would have acknowledged. And it was uncomfortable. And what Jesus is trying to do here is something special. Because here he goes, he engages somebody that everybody around him, that the disciples would not have understood because she was different. She was a different culture, different race, different whatever, different in some way. And Jesus is, is up to something here bigger than they realized and I think it's something in our culture, especially in the season and in the temperature of things we are now, we have to learn. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you know the gift of God, who it is that I ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did all his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. See, Jesus is trying to say, look, that water that you're going to drink, after a while, you're, it's going to make you thirsty again. That this thing that's going to come from the earth, this thing that comes from the ground, this thing that comes from the world, it's going to give you a very temporary satisfaction. It's going to be able to quench your thirst for a moment, temporarily. But I've got something to offer you that, that's better. I've got something to offer you that, that like if you really understood what it was, this, this water that I'm offering, this thing that I'm offering you, like when you really get it and when it gets in you and you consume it, like that empty feeling, it, it no longer exists. That what the world has to offer, what the earth can give you compared to what I can give you, it doesn't even compare. It's so much more. And she's like, I, I need some of this. I want some of this water. Verse 15. Then the woman said to her, Tim, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Verse 16, he told her, go to your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. So he just met the desperate housewife of Samaria. <laughs> and the woman and the man you have now is not even your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus was kind of like hardcore, amen? Like he just didn't. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Can you imagine this guy? This is an uncomfortable conversation. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're right. You don't have a husband. You're like, you have five. And the guy you're living with now, he ain't your husband either. 
Uh, I, I can see you're a prophet. Yeah. Verse 21, or excuse me, uh, verse 19. Sir, this woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship that what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. What he's saying is salvation is from the Jews because the one that would bring salvation would be born as a Jew and I'm him. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who am speaking to you, I am he. See, Jesus all along this whole path that they would have never chosen was to engage a woman they never would have acknowledged. And in this one conversation, he's changing her life. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not backing down. He's not pretending like her lifestyle is okay. He's engaging her and giving her the gospel. Then look what happens in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned. So up until this point, the disciples have been off running this errand for Jesus looking for some lunch. And Jesus has been encountering this woman. He, would, he had engaged somebody they would have never even acknowledged. If the disciples, if it was just the disciples and not Jesus, and they'd have walked by this well, they would have pretended like this woman did not even exist. And now, not only is she a Samaritan, she got a bit of a resume. And even more so, that would have caused them to avoid her at all costs. And then look what happens is just then his disciples return. So Jesus is engaged in this conversation and the light's coming on in the, in the life of this woman. Like she's realizing, like I'm not talking to an ordinary person here. Like this isn't just some random Jewish carpenter. This isn't just some ordinary even Jewish person. Like this is like the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that can, can fill that void in my life. And obviously, you know what? Can we all kind of see that she'd been trying to fill something in her life through all these different relationships that she had burned through? Like she knew something was missing in her soul. There was something deeply longing for, for some kind of identity and some kind of wholeness and some type of something in her life because she had been going through relationship from relationship trying to fill that hole. And now all of a sudden she stands before Jesus and everything in this moment now has the potential to change. And then his disciples show up. And just to kind of keep building on what we're talking about, Jesus took a path the disciples never would have acknowledged to engage a person they, or excuse me, have chosen, they, to engage a person they never would have acknowledged to teach them a lesson they would never forget. Because I want you to look at what happens next. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asks, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So I kind of just picture the disciples' face. Like they're walking down the road. They look over and they're like, is that Jesus? Peter, like he's he talking with a woman. And like, we're in, we're in Samaria. What's he thinking? Well, how, how dare he do that? Why is he talking to her? People are going to see that we're hanging out with Jesus. He's talking to people like that. we got reputations to uphold. What is happening here? But I, and so they walk in like, it's just awkward. 
I'm trying to make it awkward. It's awkward. I can make it. They're just like standing there like, and Jesus is like engaging this woman. And they just kind of walk up. You know, you, when you do that, like you walk up, somebody's having a conversation and you're going to meet somebody and they're talking and you just walk up and like they know you're there and you know they're there, but like they're not saying anything. You're just like. <laughs> but then look what happens. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. Now, we weren't there. And so we don't know exactly what happened. But can I submit to you what I, what I believe in my heart happened? She had just been impacted by Jesus, but now felt rejected by his followers. She had been impacted by Jesus, but now she stands feeling rejected by his followers. See, they, I think they walked up and they looked like, Really? Jesus is too good to be talking to you. We should, keep, we should just kind of keep moving, Jesus. And we're not going to say anything because we know we're stupid and don't get it sometimes. But this isn't, this isn't right. And I just feel like maybe when they walked up and they saw and she saw the disdain on their face, it made her uncomfortable. And it shut her. And that their uncomfort, their willingness, their their awkwardness and their willingness to not engage where Jesus was, that them being uncomfortable made her uncomfortable, and she decided to walk away. That they, that as they walked up, they thought, look at this woman. Like, really? They weren't able to hide that. And she loved Jesus. She was impacted by Jesus. But she felt rejected by his followers. And so she said, Jesus, I love you. And we can talk more, and we can change, but i got to get away from them. Do you think maybe we're guilty of that in our culture today? Well, there's people that we encounter that probably feel loved by Jesus but rejected by his followers. Maybe with the way that we say things, or stuff we put on social media, or rants that we go on in public places, or just by the stare that we give somebody that maybe is a different religion or a different race or a different social status or a different whatever, but because of the cultural things that have been grained in us when we walk up, they see the look on our face and they love Jesus but want nothing to do with us. Because we're not willing to embrace the uncomfortable and get beyond our own biases and prejudices and all these different things and be willing to really follow Jesus. Is that possible at all? That maybe the way we represent him makes people not fall out of love with him but have, want to have nothing to do with us. And then if we're really going to do life with Jesus and we're going to do more than just believe in something but follow someone, we've got to put aside our comfort and get even uncomfortable a little bit at times so that we can go where Jesus went and engage who Jesus was willing to engage so we can learn a little something together. I'm trying to make it even more uncomfortable right now by just letting some silence sit there. And just let us deal with that.
Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. See, at this point, at, at, they have yet to acknowledge this woman's presence. She leaves. They don't say, Jesus, who was that? What were y'all talking about? What happened? She leaves, and it's like, Jesus, you, you need to eat something. Like, they, don't, they don't even acknowledge that she was there. They don't even acknowledge that she even existed. They don't even say, Jesus, did, did you talk to her? What happened? Did you change your life? Did you do some miracle in her? What happened, Jesus? Tell us the story. Did you have an awesome conversation? Does she now believe in you? Is she going to join our, our fellowship? Is she going to start following us? They don't even acknowledge the woman even was there. Because that's more comfortable for them. Because she, in their minds, didn't matter. She was just a Samaritan with a little bit of a loose history. And so they're just on to the task at hand. See, they were on to getting lunch because that was their job, they thought. So they let what they thought was supposed to be what they were doing overshadow what they were really supposed to be doing. They were distracted in that moment. Verse 33, then his disciples said to each, uh, 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 verse 31 again, uh, verse 32, excuse me. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Like, like what sustains me, what keeps me going is something that you can't even understand. Verse 33, the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? Like these dudes don't get it. Like, well, somebody must have brought Jesus something to eat. Verse 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. And what he's saying is, open your eyes. Do you see what he's saying? You missed it. Guys, you missed it. You're, you're worried about this physical food. And here I was, changing somebody's life. A woman who desperately needed to know me. And you're so wrapped up in the wrong things that you missed it. Like you're just, your stomach's just growling and that's all you care about. You be, you're more worried about filling your belly than me changing a life. Don't you see? He said, the, the harvest is right here. It was right. This woman has something powerful happening right here. And, you're, and guys, you're missing it. Open, open your eyes. Verse 36, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and har harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus he is saying, one sows and another reaps is true. Verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And if you drop on down to verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. See, so her life was changed, and God did amazing things for her. Jesus changed her life, but the disciples, because they're too worried about their own comfort, missed it. So this is what I want to leave you with, that if you're going to do life with Jesus, if you're going to follow him, it means you will have to engage people and issues you would rather avoid and ignore. Just leave, can we leave that up on the screen for just a minute, guys? I just want you to soak in this. If you're going to follow Jesus, that means that you're going to have to engage people that don't look like you, sound like you, talk like you, grew up like you, and issues that are hard and challenging, difficult, you're going to have to engage people in issues that it would just be so much easier to avoid and ignore. But if you're going to do life with Jesus, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to do more than just believe in something but fall in so follow someone, you're going to be forced to engage people in issues that if it was up to you, you would rather avoid and ignore. And so here's my question for you. 
do you really want to follow Jesus? Like, I mean, follow Jesus. Not just believe in him and feel good about things and have the one. I mean, like, follow Jesus. Like, we'll go where he goes, do what he does, see what he saw, feel what he felt. If you really want to follow Jesus, it means you're going to have to engage people and issues that you would much rather avoid and ignore. And so my question is, what are you avoiding and ignoring that you need to engage? Or who are you avoiding or ignoring that you need to engage? Just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Let's spend some time in prayer. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means engaging people in issues you'd rather avoid and ignore. And maybe it looks a little bit different in your life than it does in, in the story. <coughs> maybe it's not a different race of people or a different group of people, but maybe there's just some people that you just don't like them. And it's just more comfortable for you not to engage them. Maybe they haven't been the nicest people in the world to you. Maybe they haven't said the right things or something. But you know, God's saying you, you can't avoid them. You need to engage them. Or maybe there's some issues, some secret sins or something in your life that you know what, it's just been easier to act like it didn't exist. To avoid it. To sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not there. But today we're reminded that if you were going to follow Jesus... There are people and issues that you're going to have to engage that you would rather avoid and ignore. If you're here and you'd say, you know what? There's some things that i am just been trying to avoid, trying to ignore, that I know God's calling me to engage. If I'm going to follow Him, will you just throw your hand up and keep it high? I want to pray for you. Just toss it in the air and leave it in the air. Amen. Just leave them up, leave them up, because I want to, I'll tell you when to put them down. Leave them up, because I just want to pray for you. You say, I want to follow Jesus, and I understand that mean, what that means, that I'm going to have to avoid, stop avoiding things and ignoring things and engage. Amen. Just leave them up. Leave them up. Leave them up. Leave them up. Amen. Amen. You can put them down. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that your word calls us to more than sometimes we're comfortable with. But God, I thank you for the courage of people that just threw up their hands and just said, God, there are things right now I know that I've just, that are there, but because of choosing comfort over obedience, I've just avoided them, I've ignored them, but I know that I need to engage those people, I need to engage those issues, I need to run head-on into those things and deal with them in a way that would bring you honor and glory. And God, I pray that you would give them such wisdom and courage and strength to engage those things, Lord, and be used by you. And God, constantly remind us that, Lord, we, we have to do more than just believe in a bunch of somethings, but we follow you. And God, as we follow you, that means that it's going to get uncomfortable, that there are going to be moments and places and people that we have to encounter that Lord are going to cause us to step outside of our comfort zone and experience something powerful God and God forgive us for the times when the way that we have behaved has caused people who desire you to feel rejected by us and God I pray that you would just help us just to lean in and serve you more faithfully and follow you in a way that is consistent and authentic and powerful God, we love you, and thank you for the work that you are doing in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Would you just celebrate him, church, this morning? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.